Welcome to An Apple a Day, a podcast, a resource, a community. Share your experiences and learn from others as we overcome barriers and learn to live a happy, healthy life with a disability. Welcome to the community. Here's your host, Jimmy Apple. Welcome to another episode of An Apple a Day. I'm your host, Jimmy Apple. How are you feeling today, my friends? You're feeling good? You're feeling strong? You're feeling better than you did yesterday? Excellent. You can't ask for better than that. Hey, we have got a good one for you today. Today, we have with us the author of a new book called You Are Deathless, a near-death experience taught me how to fully live and not fear death. Her name is Nicole Kerr. You are not going to believe her story. And I'm not going to give it away. Believe me, because this story has to be told by her. This is an amazing story, and you're not going to want to miss it. Now, before we, before I fluff it up too much, I want to let Dave tell you a little bit about Nicole. This, this lady is very personable. She's enthusiastic, very friendly, and all I can say is you don't want to miss this. So sit back for a second, relax, and let Dave tell you about Nicole Kerr. Let me introduce you to Nicole Kerr. Award-winning health expert Nicole Kerr is the co-author of the book, Eating the Rainbow, Lifelong Nutritional Wellness, Without Lies, Hype, or Calculus. She has appeared on CNN, PBS, CBS, ABC, The Food Channel, and a host of other TV and radio shows to share her unique perspective on wellness, lifestyle, and nutrition. For the past 30 years, Nicole has worked in all sectors of society, including, in government, the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention, in nonprofit American Cancer Society, in the military, United States Air Force Medical Operations, in academia, University of Hawaii, in healthcare institutions and hospitals, Adventist Health Castle and Queens Medical Center, in corporate settings, CTIs, LLC, and in private consultation. Nicole's warm and engaging presentations have earned her a place in front of international audiences ranging from corporate food producers to health and medical associations. Throughout her career, she has focused on supporting people from every walk of life to make realistic, meaningful and happy choices for lifelong health and well-being. When she was a 19-year-old cadet at the United States Air Force Academy, Nicole would be forced to learn how to live and love differently following a terrifying and transformative near-death experience. Her memory of the crash came back 20 years later, and it has taken Nicole almost another two decades to align her soul, spirit, mind, and body, proving healing is certainly a non-linear process. A disabled veteran, Nicole now maintains a private practice primarily using neuro-emotional technique, NET targeting the often-overlooked domains of emotional, energy, and spiritual well-being. And now, back to Jimmy. Thanks, Dave. Well, now, if you listen to what Dave just said, it might sound a little bit stuffy, but I guarantee you, Nicole is anything but stuffy. Just listen to this interview, and don't take my word for it. You'll see for yourself. I want to mention one thing. If you have a book club, you're going to want to listen to this interview all the way to the end because there's a surprise for you. And if you don't have a book club, I suggest you start one right now. 
because there's a surprise at the end of this interview. So sit back, relax, and let me introduce you to our new friend, Nicole Kerr. As I told you, we have with us today Nicole Kerr. I'm going to put your mind to work. She's a BTDT expert. I'm going to let her explain what that means. But she's also a disabled Air Force vet. She's also a near-death experience survivor. She's a, an award-winning health expert. She's a dietitian. She's a whole bunch of everything. So I'm going to let her ex- explain everything to you. How are you doing t- today, Nicole? I'm doing terrific, Jim. How are you doing? <laughs> good, good, good. Uh, go ahead. Explain what the BTDT is. Oh, you're not going to believe it. Uh, <laughs> been there, been there, done that. And I think that is all, after all the letters of the alphabet after my name, that is the most important one because I think if someone's been there, done that, they you have something in common with them and you can develop compassion, empathy, sympathy because you you know what you've been through together. It's like being in the military. If you've both been in the military, there's commonalities that you understand together, you know, if you're both a cancer survivor. So, you know, I've been there and done that in terms of near death, going to the other side, coming back, memory coming back 20 years later to remember it. And that's what makes me, I think, able to talk about this uh, topic. So some people think I'm crazy for inventing it, but I think it's the most important. Well, I'm surprised because I was thinking it was something else, but okay. (laughs) <laughs> but the RDN, that's that's a real registered dietitian nutritionist, and the MPH is a real master's in public health. Those are all real, but I did I did create that, and I do put it there because I want people to know, you know, uh, whether it's food or whatever I've gone into, I've been there and done it, and that's why I can speak to it. Well, I, I think the BTDT is a real thing, too. Honestly. Yes. Honestly. So... Explain to us. Now, you you were in the military academy. You were in the Air Force Academy. Correct. I was in, in the sixth class of women. In the United States, they started allowing women into the academies. In uh, first class graduated in 80. So mine was class of 86. So it was fairly new to have females in, integrated into these into our military academies. So it was no easy thing to get admitted into them and to survive in them, to be honest with you. And you you got into an automobile accident in sophomore year. I, yeah, my my third degree year. It was the beginning. Uh, in fact, it was August August twenty eighth. So it's uh, you know it was the beginning of the school year, which we're getting close to now. And we had um, our squadron had an event, and they supplied alcohol for the cadets. And I asked uh, one of the the senior cadets for a ride back to the academy. And um, I did not know that he was drunk and he wanted to stop and get another beer. And I was worried we weren't going to get back to the academy on time because we had a curfew on on Sunday nights. We had to be back at 7.35 p.m. And if we didn't, we got in trouble. 
And, you know, Jim, I was like, I'm not starting out my second year in trouble again. I got in trouble the first year so much. I just, (laughs) you know, I had so many demerits. I was walking tours and it was just like, I'm not going to do that this year. And then, you know, we, uh, he he wanted to stop and watch the sunset. And I was like, we got to get on the road and get back. And we never made it back. And it turns out what happened was the car crashed into a boulder. It was a Corvette convertible and it didn't have seat belts. It was 1965, which turned out to save us. But I want to say from a public health perspective, please do wear your seat belts because they, unless you're in a Corvette a convertible with the top down, <laughs> um, that car completely slipped and landed on its top. So we would have been smooshed. But it turns out that I was pronounced dead at the scene. Some people in a nearby house came out and heard it all and could not get any kind of vitals on me, covered me up with a blanket, the voluntary uh, police, uh, fire department got there uh, 10 to 15 minutes later and the paramedic or the EMT that worked on me who came to my hospital actually uh, about 10 weeks after you know it happened and told me what all happened because I was totally unconscious. I did not remember any of it. The only thing I remembered was waking up the next day in the ICU and you know, I was just like, what happened? Where was I? And the last thing I remembered was driving along. And then all of a sudden I wake up. So that piece, that gap of my memory did not come back fully until 20 years later when I was working in Atlanta at the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention. So I want to tell people when you have a trauma like that and you don't remember, the only thing I remembered were white lights, bright white lights. And I just, that was it. 20 years later, you know, I'm in Atlanta and I'm getting a Starbucks, going to work. And all of a sudden I could see how I was sitting in the car. And I, I was like, oh my gosh, I pulled over and the memory just started coming up of what happened. So instead of work, I went to my mind body uh, chiropractor and um, he was busy all day, but I sat in his office until he had an opening and he worked with me on what they call repressed memories. And they were coming up because now after 20 years, my body was starting to feel safe enough to deal with the actual memories of what happened. And so I remember going over to the other side. You know, I remember that I went flying through the windshield and it made sense now how I cut off my left foot was uh, only hanging on by a shred of skin. It basically was amputated. Um, I cut a huge hole on the inside of my right leg. I had a fourth degree laceration between my angle and sphincter. I severed my right wrist. I had a severe road burn on my cheek from just skidding on the pavement and then cuts and bruises all over. And I could never understand how I cut my foot off and the cut all the insides of my leg, you know, and that whole private area, you know, it's like, how did I do that? And then I realized, oh my God, I had one foot on the dashboard and I had the other foot crossed over like in a, you know, like your knee, how you cross it over the, your leg. And that's how I was sitting when it happened. So I went, but up through the windshield, which turned out to save my, my brain and my spine, but um, it really did affect the extremities. You know, I know all of this, A, because the memory came back 
and then B, confirmation from the doctors and the paramedic in terms of the injuries and all of that. That night, basically, the paramedics, the job was just to try to keep me alive. My blood pressure was 60 over zero. They had to do CPR on me all the way to the community hospital, which was the closest hospital. They were not prepared for trauma, but I had a team of angels on call that night and I had the first woman surgeon in Colorado Springs working on me. Um, She was the first woman to be allowed into Jefferson Medical School in Philadelphia. So she was a maverick. And then I just, you know, I had an excellent team. But that started a whole four months in the hospital, seven months of ICU. I have to have a colostomy to divert my bowels, you know, and all of this for a 19-year-old girl. I thought, I thought going through boot camp was bad, Jim. <laughs> this had, this was nothing compared to boot camp, okay? <laughs> and just, you know, on pain meds, seven straight weeks, you know, Valium, Demerol, Morphine, um, and the most... I guess the thing that I couldn't get out of my mind was that my dad was going to kill me because <laughs> my dad had rules and my dad was a Marine and you followed his rules. And if you didn't follow your rules, his rules, you got punished. So when he, you know, he saw me and he found out that I got in the car with someone who'd been drinking, I had a beer, you know, he just uh, assumed that I was dating that guy, which was not true. And, uh, You know, I had smoked my third cigarette ever and broke his rules. So therefore, I deserved what I got. And that has been the hardest part emotionally and spiritually because I didn't get any help with that. I only got help with healing physically. My mother told, you know, the doctor when he said, I think Nicole needs to see a psychiatrist um, to deal with this trauma. And you may, too, uh, you know, Ms. Kerr. She said, Jesus and God were our psychiatrist and we would be just fine. And that just wasn't true. You know, I was not fine. I developed an eating disorder as a result of that. Uh, Compulsive eating back in the the 80s. Didn't understand why I was doing it, but I just, I hated myself, you know, uh, and was blamed for this, even though I wasn't driving. So it's, um, there's a lot of pieces and I present it in the book and go through the common lessons from near-death experiences as a lead-in to each chapter. And like I said, my memory didn't come back until 20 years later about crossing over to the other side um, and being told that my purpose and mission was to tell people not to be afraid of death. And I'm like, oh boy, I don't want to go back. I don't want to go back into that body that I could see on the ground wearing my teal Azad shirt and khaki shorts. And, you know, I was just like, it's going to be pain and suffering. Because I also knew that my family was going to be very uh, shaming. My parents were. And and that's exactly what happened. You know, I have three siblings and my dad told all of them, this is what happens when you don't listen to me. And yeah. it's just like, just really no compassion, no empathy, uh, love that is conditional. Uh, it was harsh. It was really harsh. And it's taken me so long to let that go and realize that's who he is. And um, the epilogue of the book is going to blow your mind because 38 years later, um, I did a Zoom call with my roommates. There's four, there was three other ones. And two out of the three I've kept in touch with, but the third, 
she quit after that semester um, of our sophomore year and went back to Vermont and no one has ever talked to her since. And so I got, I found her on Facebook and we had a zoom call and she, all I will say is the first thing she said is I'm so sorry, Nicole. Um, I'm so sorry. I caused the crash. And I was like, you caused the crash but you're gonna have to read the book to find out what happened because that part of my memory never came back. So she's blaming herself, I'm blaming myself, and both our lives could have been forever changed if if she had actually said yes to me. Huh. Wow. Well, there's, now there's a, now, now <laughs> remember what you were saying about the book being, now I'm definitely reading the book. <laughs> now I have yeah. to. I have to know what happened there. Yeah, yeah. Because for 38 years and two months before it's being published, okay, I've been working on this baby, and it is a baby, okay. Because writing a book, I've never had a child, but I can only imagine. I've been working on this since 13 years, trying to write this book, and now is the right time. But I'm telling you. Uh, it, it's been painful, but it's also been healing for me, Jim, because as I've written the book, it's helped me heal. And, you know, I hope that people, as they read it, they will have compassion for themselves and they'll have an understanding. I talk about who God is and what God now means to me. And not that I have that figured out totally either, because we're all on a journey with it, but I know what God is not. And that was um, the duality that I was raised in with the Lutheran Church and the Southern Baptist Church and the Catholic Church. I married a recovering Catholic, and it's the same in that. Any church that's going to instill fear and guilt in you, that's not what God is about. Wait a minute. Can we just go back? Couple sure, of, a minute I'm here. Just, I'm just going. I'm so excited to talk to you, Jim. I really <laughs> am. <laughs> Wait a minute. I want to know how come your friend thinks it's her fault and you think it's your fault. What about the what about the the the, the jerk that was driving? Well, this is this is where the injustice in the world comes in. His dad happened to be a three star general. General. I, I in, don't care if his name was Joe Biden or Donald Trump. He was the drunk. That's right. And he was uh, an alcoholic and he never apologized to me for it. And I learned um, any other cadet would have been kicked out of the academy because the state of Colorado charged him with vehicular assault driving under the influence. It was also reckless driving and speeding, but he pleaded guilty to the first two and the judge deferred the sentence on the vehicular assault. And um, he got to graduate from the academy and move on with his life. He was only in the hospital a week and got to go back and play sports and you know uh, live, his, live his life, so to speak. Um, and I have not been in contact with him since a letter my therapist had suggested writing an angry letter. Well, I wrote him an angry letter, but I also found his address and mailed it to him. And the letter I got back from him was not a nice letter. And so my therapist was like, oh, Nicole, I didn't mean for you to send it to him. 
was just like, well, then why would I write a letter if I'm not going to send it? Write him an but, angry uh, letter. I'd give him a near-death experience. <laughs> yeah, well, yeah. So, you know, it, it's it's people-pleasing, you know? And I thought because I didn't have my memory of it that I somehow was responsible somehow because my dad told me I was, you know? And that's what a good little girl from the South does is, you know, well, then... I, it must be true at some level. I, you know, I disappointed my father. I'm to blame at some realm. Um, I've disappointed God, uh, you know, so I deserved what I got. And then, you know, now I look at that and I just go, okay, you know, my dad's a narcissist and it's, it's you know, it's, I've learned all this for years of therapy and I'm digging into this and it's just like, you know, when I, when I did share the video with what my roommate said, I knew what he was going to say, Jim. He was going to say, well, then you should have walked home. And that's exactly what he said. He said, you should have walked back to the academy. You still made a bad decision. And I'm like, you know, there was, yeah. So, um, you know, dealing with uh, a mother and a father that uh, my mother did come out for four months and she was with me that whole four months. And for that, I will be forever grateful. But um, we now, our relationship has, is, is just cut off. They're, they're what I would call religious addicts. And they, you know, my dad said, I don't even believe in NDEs because they're not in the Bible. And I'm just like, well, there's a lot of stuff in the Bible that is truth that is just not there, you know? And it, so it's just, you can't win with no. someone who is an addict, whether it's religion, alcohol, whatever. So you just don't even go there anymore. So um, unfortunately, you know, they're not going to admit that they have any responsibility or fault. They can't say, sorry. You know, it's like, was it the Fonz uh, from Happy Days that could never say sorry? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> that goes back a while, it, but, uh, it, yeah, it, yeah. It's, it sounds like we were raised in the same family, but. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> unbelievable. Unbelievable. Aye. Jeez. So let's get yeah. on to this near death experience. The the heck with yes. the, the heck with them. The heck, yes. <laughs> the heck with them. But yeah, I, but it does it does factor in because and that that shows privilege. His dad was a three star. He was able to talk to the the superintendent oh, of the academy and they were allowing him to stay. You know, any other cadet would have been kicked out on honor violations and etc. So um that's what I wanted to share with that is that it really does matter. Oh, it, you know, it does. Yeah. It, it well pulls strings get pulled. Exactly. Exactly. And people get away with murder. They, yeah. they honestly do depending on who their family is. Yes. <sighs> so what else would you like to know specifically I, about the near death experience? Actually, this sound, this may sound foolish, but, it happened that night, that day. What was, what kind of, what kind of, what kind of day were you having before all of this, before the party? Well, that was a Sunday, and that was supposed to be a free day for cadets, okay? Mm -hmm. um, because they keep our schedules packed. But that day, I had gone to the Commandant of Cadets' home. Me and two other uh, three degrees. He had he had personally invited us to his house, and we were there to speak with interested high school students about the academy. Okay. So he wanted to showcase 
females being at the academy. And so we had a picture made with him, and that's in the book. And I put on there, you never know when your last picture will be taken, because that was the last picture of me, the the before accident me right. versus the, the now me, you know. And then that was midday, and then I had that squadron function was already going on all day long out at one of the parks. And so our squadron, there are 40 squadrons. Um, our squadron, it's a combination of, uh, you know, sophomore, freshmen, juniors and seniors. And it's about 100 people. And we went out there to celebrate the beginning of this academic year. And they were playing softball. And, um, and, and so I made my way out there, changed clothes, made my way out there, got there late. And so um, stayed a little bit longer and was one of the last to leave. I never made it back. So, you know, it's that quiz that I had in electrical engineering and the English paper and all that, you know, it all just never got done. I never saw my dorm room again. They all packed up all my stuff. You know, it's just uh, I never went back. And now when you were in the hospital, did any of the higher ups from from the academy come to see you or did they just more or less say you're on your own? Um, the, my squadron commander and, um, the air force commander of my squadron did come see me happens that the general that I was, uh, you know, at his house earlier, he was in the same class as my dad. So my dad was a previous graduate class of 60 of the Academy. So he knew him. And so he, he never came to see me in the hospital, but I guess he was staying updated on me through various channels and he did let me come recover at his guest house for, for Thanksgiving. They let me have a, a pass out of the hospital. And so I was able to go have dinner with him, which, you know, my mother and I did. Um, so in terms of his dad being the general, yes, he tried to come by and see me, sent flowers. But I, I at that point, I was having no visitors. So um, I didn't see any of them. No. Did, the, did the driver of the car? Uh, he, he, he tried to come see me and I said, I, I didn't want to see him. I, I was so drugged up. Um, so he never, he never did. I saw him later, uh, at graduation, but I never saw him during that time in the hospital, but it, which was a good, which was a good thing. Yeah. I, I would imagine. I would imagine. Now here's again, and I don't want to drag up anything or anything, but were you conscious? At, no, you weren't. At all, what like when you when you hit the ground, you were unconscious. You didn't feel anything. Right, that's exactly right. Well, that's a and, good... I, and to this day, I don't feel any of the pain that happened with, you know, the injuries, which were horrific. You would have thought I would have felt, you know, but I didn't feel any of it. Well, that's you know, a, that's a good thing. Yeah, yeah, and still to this day, you know, I have not ever felt the pain of that it's like it's just been erased and i think that's what our body does to help us cope you know and then at that moment i realized i was being lifted up by um it's kind of like casper the ghost but it didn't have a form but it was it was a spirit and it was i would call it more male in nature felt more male and we were lifted up and i could look down and see the scene and see me and and I heard other voices you know uh and these other voices were saying uh, you know they need to ask for help if we're going to help them and this is 
this whole bit about asking for help. You know, the other side, um, angels, guides, they will ask, they will help us, but we have to remember to ask them for help unless it's an emergency, which in my case it was. That was an absolute emergency where an angel came down, lifted me up and told me, Nicole, you're going to go back. And I was like, I don't want to. And they said, you're going to go back and your mission is going to be to tell people not to fear death. And I'm just like, but then on the other side of that is not to fear life, right? Not to fear living life, because that's what you're here for is to live, not to just survive, but to thrive. And so many people are so full of fear that they're not allowing themselves to live life to the fullest. Did you feel like you were dying at that point? Oh, I already, I, I, I didn't feel up on the other side. There is no, no, there's just like, I, I didn't even know how to put it into words, Jim. I was so happy. Wait, <laughs> I so, why you? I was, I was so happy on the other side. And I just knew going back in that body was going to be some pain and some suffering. And it has been, but that's part of the lesson, uh, you know, that I needed to learn. And we're all here on this planet and we're all learning lessons and we all deal with pain. Every single person, none of us gets away without it. Um, and if they tell you they've never felt pain or never suffered, then I would question their honesty. So when you came back then, then you felt the pain of the accident. Yeah, well, I, I didn't ever f go back and feel what happened. I felt the state I was in at that moment. So when I woke up, I felt the pain in my body. Even though I was heavily medicated, I still was like, oh, my God, I've got nerve pain in this one. I've got my foot is on fire. You know, it's just different. They They kept it manageable, but I woke up and I was so swollen. I was just, I just... You know, I was, I didn't have a mirror in my room, so I couldn't look at myself. But I will tell you this, when my mother and my sponsor came to look at me, both of them left. My mother went and broke down and cried. She didn't even recognize me. And my sponsor says in the book that I was so gray and swollen and, and just distended. And just, she said, Nicole, I did not even recognize it was you. If you would have said that was Nicole Curran, 4C. She said, I would not believe it. Um, wow. And so, you know, it's just, well, you know, when you when you have an accident, how black and blue you get, you know, you just, yeah. your body just goes through all those color changes. And yeah, so I, I, I just, you know, I felt the pain of what was physically going on, but not the pain of the accident. Does that make sense? Yeah. Oh, yes. Yes, it does. My God. You know, but, and then I had to have six, 64 pints of blood transfused. And that's like redoing your system, what, five times or so? I yeah, forget how many you pints got a, are in our body. You got a complete oil change. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yes, yes, there are several. And that was a time, if you remember back in 1983, they had not started screening for AIDS in blood transfused for people right. that were donating blood that's right and um that's right so i remember once i got home and i was was doing much better you know the hospital called and said you know you need to go in and get an aids test and i was like what yeah. um but thank god 
you know, I didn't contract AIDS. Talk about um, compounding problems on top of problems. Yeah, but, but you know, you don't think about, I remember at that time there was a congressman and his daughter was in an accident. She had one pint of blood transfused and it was contaminated. It had AIDS and she got it. Yeah. I, unfortunately, I had a doctor that, that it happened to his daughter. She had a transfusion oh. and I was in the hospital and she was in, I had a, an infection in my system. And she was in the room two doors down from me. And unfortunately, she had contracted AIDS from a blood infusion. And, I know. And she passed away. Oh, yeah. I mean, it's just, I remember they brought in, well, my mother remembers uh, uh, a 17-year-old gal uh, in the bed, the room next to me in ICU, and she tried to commit suicide. My mother was just like, the irony, you're trying to fight for your life, and she's trying to take her life, you know? Exactly. It's just, yeah. Exactly. My God. Nicole, your story is so powerful. It's so powerful. Now. Thank you. Thank I, you. I, I, I just can't, I can't fathom it. It's, now, when you, you were clinically dead for how long? Um, the paramedic estimates 10 to 15 minutes. Wow. I, I, I don't know if you can remember what it felt like. Do you remember seeing anything? Like this is, this is so, to me, this is such a strong thing. Do you remember like, you know, like I've heard people say they've seen dead relatives. They've, they've heard voices of people that have passed on from before they remember dark hallways. They remember bright hallways. Do you remember anything like that? Well, I do remember my spirit lifting out of me immediately. So um, that's when this this angel guide got me and brought me in an upward direction. So we, I was on it like a different plane. I don't know. That's the only way I can say. I was, uh, and and I did hear other voices that you know. So they were talking about how they can help us here on earth, but we have to ask for help. And that was that reminder, which I now believe, you know, is you have to ask for help from the spiritual realm. They're there. They want to help, but you have to ask. They're not going to insert themselves in your life because we have free will. And so, um, and then on the other side, you know, that bright white light, what I know is there are colors that, we haven't even seen or imagined and they you know white absorbs all that right right all the colors mm -hmm. so, yeah so i think that's why it didn't blind me or anything it's just like i felt so safe and secure there was there was no pain there's no negativity there's no suffering there's none of that and it was just like being in a cocoon you know just an astronaut kind of like floating in space or whatever you know there was just there was none of the you know it's like i didn't even have, my name wasn't even nicole i didn't have any identities hooked on to me and i it may have been the angel that was with me may have been a relative i don't really know for sure but i do know that you will see loved ones and others when you die. They meet you and they do present themselves. And even pets. Uh, I'm hoping. Uh, yes. I'm, I'm truly hoping. Like I told you, I grew, I grew up a Roman Catholic. 
and I have this I have this picture in my head that it's been in my head since I'm five years old that when you die you're going to meet up with all your dead relatives and they're going to be waiting there for you to greet you with open arms and you know and that may sound cartoonish or something to someone else but that's the the image that's been pounded into my head since I'm a child and it just well, it stays with me well it's a it's comforting to you right it is it absolutely yeah. is and all my yes. my dogs and my cats and my birds they're all going to be there yes my goldfish in fact whatever. in fact i think i think the animal kingdom has shown uh what true love is really about it's unconditional love you know they're just i mean they're just unbelievable you know i think it, it's it's a lesson in opening your heart even wider when you can make that connection with an animal oh i i i believe that i believe that there's a special place in heaven for someone that can love an animal well and i think you know it's 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 part of the journey part of the evolution you know we will have a life review and you see what you learned, you know, and, and where, and I think when I went back, I had to renegotiate my contract because uh, it's like, <laughs> okay, when I, when I come back this time, you know, I got to figure out, uh, this is, I was specifically told this, you know, you are to not be afraid of death. And so many people, you know, and our culture has created, you know, this doom and gloom situation about death. You don't want someone to die alone, you know, and I think that's more on the person, the human still living than the actual person that's dying. I think they're ready. They're seeing, you know, you'll see people as they get ready to pass, they're like reaching their hand out, right? And they're grabbing at things and they're, you know, they're, 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 they're ready. They're ready to go. It's not scary. It is, it is not scary. And in fact, it's beautiful. You know, we're not judged. So many people fear being judged, you know, um, somebody on the, you know, God's been keeping a score of all your sins or whatever. That's, that's just, you're not judged. You are perfect in your true form, in your soul, in your spiritual essence. You know, the human form, is what we have to deal with on earth and that's what makes things hard or challenging i should say because we're all human so you don't you don't believe that there's pain at the time of death you don't when you at, at the time when you die and your spirit leaves no there's no pain 100 percent. leading up to that yes you can be in pain that's why most people are on uh, morphine drips and things like that to deal with that pain because for people that, you, I mean, if you've had health challenges and you know what pain is like, when you're in pain, you can't think about anything except the pain. You want the pain to go away, right? Sure. That's just, yeah. So when people come in and say, oh, try to think about, you know, this unicorns and rainbows and iron, it's just like, I got to get rid of the pain first before I can go there. You I'm, know? I'm so, thinking about choking unicorns. Right? Yes. <laughs> I mean, you got to be realistic. I'm human. And even my tooth hurts. I got to get that pain fixed before. It's just my attention goes to that, you know? Um, so that's what makes us human too. So you got to remember that piece that does that spirituality piece in trying to, you know, uh, bypass people with that. Doesn't, that's not, that's not a good thing to do. 
Now, I got to ask you another question, which seems to be really popular, especially with younger people right now, or maybe for a while. This this call, this 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 uh, call for partying, where you you only live once, YOLO, all this other stuff. What do you think about that? You only live once, so you should do whatever you want. Um, I would disagree with that. Uh, I would challenge them. Um, our souls have more than one incarnation. My thing is, you only die once. Well, you know, each time you come in, your soul incarnates and it's here for a reason. And then you do pass and then it comes in again and it's a different incarnation. Um, and that's why you can be around people and they'll just like, God, that's like deja vu. Or I remember that before. Or you're carrying, you know, ancestral imprints and generational imprints. You can also carry your past lives um, because your soul, once it goes out of your body, it keeps living. It's not going to like die and be like a firecracker that just falls to earth, you know? It keeps living. So that's the place that you go to learn about, okay, what what's the next incarnation? And there's more than earth here, okay? That's the other thing. This is, we are not the only planet with inhabitants on it, okay? Mm -hmm. And I think what people are trying what's coming up now is the the earth is really uh, in a situation where we need a lot of light workers here because there's a lot of division there's a lot of darkness that needs to show up and be the light to come in and what we're doing to the earth you're starting to see mother earth uh react with all this climate change you know it's not sustainable and things have got to change and we've got to start treating nature animals and people with respect and equality true very true that leads me into my next question talking about treating humans and animals and everything with respect we have to treat ourselves with respect and exactly and what about people like take for instance you're saying that is a, a great experience but what about people that abuse themselves, like with alcohol, with smoking? Is there, um, is there any consequence for this? Yeah, well, I would say I kind of look at it. I take uh, Dr. Bloom's philosophy um, and look at the earth. And then there's around the earth, there's like this psychic pollution. OK, and when we die, our souls are released from our bodies and think about it like uh, an inflatable balloon that's in the shape of a heart with a string and you just cut the string and what does the balloon do? It floats straight up, right? Mm -hmm. That's like your soul. It just goes straight up and it floats away. Um, for those who have been uh, abusive, their greed, corrupt, done evil things, that layer of psychic pollution that they're going to wobble through that before they get to go straight up. Okay. The majority of us are going straight up, but people that have really done horrific things, they're not going straight up. They're going to have to wobble a while. And um, that's, that's the way I interpret and understand from where I'm at this day and time. Now you may catch me next year and I may have more information on that, but they don't go straight up. They don't get the same quote pass. It's like, you know, when you go to Disney World, you can buy the fast pass or you get the regular pass and you have to stand in line forever. Right. 
they're not getting the fast pass. <laughs> okay. <laughs> they, they can't. They can't buy it. <laughs> <laughs> well, what about what about someone that commits suicide? You know, they're in a lot of pain. For someone to want to take their own life, they are in a lot of pain. And you know, I personally believe that they will they they go straight up and that they do, they have to you know deal with the pain that they didn't want to face here and figure out how are they going to come to terms with it you know and deal with it but it it's it, it's a very sad thing but you have to be in a lot of pain for someone to to do that and i can understand that i can understand not wanting to live you know i can understand up the you know just feeling you're so messed up that it would be better just to not feel anything. I mean, I, I used to tell my friend, I said, I loved going under when they, I had six major operations during that time and I've, I've had some consequently afterwards. And I said, I love going under when that anesthesiologist comes in and he says, okay, start counting backwards. And I just am like, I love the feeling of just, you just totally go, out right mm -hmm. you don't think you don't think about anything <laughs> you know it just totally is like poof and i think that's what people want when they are suicidal is just they don't they're you know whatever the the issue is mental illness whatever they just don't want to feel any of that anymore that's the one thing I, I'll, I'll disagree with you on i i've had i've had relatives and i had my best friend commit suicide and that, that that's a rough thing that's a rough thing and i'm mad at them to this day for doing it that's yeah there, there, there's all kinds of ways around that and i know that you have to feel desperate and i know it's got to be the hardest thing to make that choice but i think that i think that there's other ways around it and there's hard as hard as it is to make that choice it's harder to make other choices to to go around it and it's... Well, and I think that gets back to the free will that we have as humans, you know, to to make choices. You know, I had the I had the free will, you know, to get in the car. He had the free will to drink excessively. You know, my nephew just had one of his friends overdose with uh, he was addicted to um he had shoulder surgery. He was addicted to uh, opioids mm -hmm. and then went on the black and market and started getting it there. And really, you know, well off kid, smart kid. And he got a bad batch that was probably laced with fentanyl, uh, had a heart attack. And he was he was only 21 years old, you know. And so people go, well, was that suicide or was that an accident? And. They didn't do an autopsy, so they're never going to know. But I don't, I don't think the child, the kid, meant to do that. I think he was just doing what he was normally doing, and somebody gave him something lethal, and he wasn't expecting that to happen, you know. Uh, I but know. it, but it, but it just destroyed his his family, and it just my nephew was his best friend, destroyed him, you know. It's just like. So, you know, Jim, there's some there's so many questions still that are not answered and you're entitled. Absolutely. Everyone's entitled to their own feelings to work through this. But it's you will see them again. Oh, yeah. Oh, I, I know. I just think that the act of it, the act of suicide, it, it well, I don't I don't want to I don't want to. Yeah. 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 It's um, I hear you. But it I just I was just curious what your thought is with that, because. 
you said a good a good death <laughs> begins today. I I could see preparing for death, like you had, like you had said, but shooting for it is is a different story. I, well, I think the, the, a good death begins today when you start living your truth, living your uh, becoming you know, who you really are and not just in survival mode and death to look forward to knowing that it's not painful. You're not alone to, to, to raise these fears in yourself that cause you to just, you know, Oh, I don't want to die. I'm scared. I'm going to die. Bring that up to the surface, start dealing with it, discuss it. And that's why, you know, at the end of my book, if you are part of a book club, you can, um, you know, have a book club discussion. And I am willing, if I can, you know, do it with my time zone, to pop in on book club discussions when they come around to discussing my book and actually be there to help talk about it and answer questions as, as much as I can. I don't know. I, I'm not claiming to know all the answers. I mean, that's like a dietitian trying to tell you, you need to eat this, that, and the other, and then you hit a stress point, and that pint of Ben and Jerry's comes out of the freezer, and you eat it, <laughs> even though you know you're not supposed to, but you can't deal with the stress. It's like it calms. It does. The dopamine rush does hit, and you get calm for a little while, but it doesn't erase the root issue, you know, and the root issue is, okay, what are you fearing when with death, you know, um, and, and bring it out so that you can have a discussion about it and you know that we can because it's going to happen to us and we act like it's not and then you know it's like oh my goodness uh i didn't even know what you know music he liked or i didn't even know what whatever it is you know well that's you see now and i want to make that make everyone aware of that see now nicole is willing if you have a book club and you take her book and you you guys are reading her book She's willing to jump in on a Zoom call with your book club and discuss yeah. the book with you. And what better than to have the author discuss the book with you? You should take advantage of that. And her email address and her contact information is going to be in the show notes for this episode. So if you don't take advantage of that, you're a fool. Because <laughs> she is... Let me tell you something. I, I, we, uh, Nicole and I were supposed to start this interview an hour earlier, but we got to talking. And she has got to be one of the coolest people to talk to. Oh, thank you, Jim. Bless you. Seriously, bless you. <laughs> and we started talking. I almost forgot that I was supposed to be taping this today. So <laughs> we got to talking. And believe me, you want her at your book club. So contact her. And she'll yep. she'll jump into the into your discussion with you, and you will have the coolest book club on the block. <laughs> <laughs> I'm telling yeah, you. Yeah, and I can I can honestly say I'm doing this from my heart. This is a labor of love. Um, you know, I just want to truly help get this message out because that's why I have survived 38 years. To, to be able to do it. I know this is what I was put on this earth at this particular point in time, where we are in time to help people realize that they are, you know, they, they're everlasting sparks of God. Their soul and spirit will never die. You truly are deathless. 
Now, and my my email is uh, Nicole at NicoleKerr.com. And my website is real easy, uh, NicoleKerr.com. And you can <laughs> register there for a free chapter if you're really not sure you want to buy the book. Um, I will send you uh, the intro and the chapter one for free. It has the picture of the car, you know, uh, everything. So, I mean, I really did put myself out there. I talked about having an eating disorder and people would look at me. And, I mean, I'm 5'11". And I weigh about 135 and they would go, you had an eating disorder. And I'm like, yeah, for 20 years, because I, the pain, the pain that I was in and didn't get help with it, I was pushing it down with food. And that's hard to admit because eating disorders you want to be secretive about. You don't want anybody to know that there's something wrong with you. And the name of her, name of her book is You Are Deathless. A near-death experience taught me how to fully live and not Fear death, and I want to taste. I want to tell you something because I caught it during the during our interview here. Her book was due out on August twenty eighth, and it came out on Amazon early. It's now available, but her accident took place on August twenty eighth. Is that a coincidence? Yep, thirty nine years, and you know, from what I remember with the Bible, I think the Israelis wandered around for forty years. So look at that. So when, you know, it's like it's taken me this long to assimilate. I had to get into alignment to be able to to really write that because I was very disconnected from my head and the rest of my body. I didn't embody emotions. Um, And the military is really good at that. You know, it's only yes or no, sir, no excuse, sir. But it doesn't teach you to feel in your body. You intellectualize um, emotions, you intellectualize things like that and to realize that we're all energy and that everything and everyone is connected. Well, I tell you what, this story here, like I said, I'm buying the book simply because I want to know why Nicole thought it was her fault. Her friend thought it was her fault. Nobody blamed the guy. Right. I want to know well, why. Well, the state of Colorado really did. They yeah, did well, the state did, that, but, but, yeah. but you two didn't. You blamed each other, yeah. or each other blamed each other, but I want to know why. And then well, I'm going to in there. Then I'm gonna call you and tell you what a fool you are. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But yeah. I, I want to know why. So I'm buying the book just for that. <laughs> and I will tell you, when she told that story, I had no memory that we had even discussed that. Well, and she thought, and she thought I remembered. So it's the misunderstanding and miscommunication, and never getting it clear with one another. And that's another thing that we do is we don't clear things. I'm thinking one thing, you're thinking another, and we never get together to get it, it um, straightened out. And then you realize you both had completely different stories. Well, I'm going to tell you another thing. I'm buying the book. <laughs> and I'm gonna, I'm gonna find out why. Now you have to send me her name and phone number so I can call and yell at both of you. Okay. <laughs> well, you'll see her. She's there's a picture of her, um, but she was, you know, it, it took a lot of courage for her to to come out with this too. So um, she said, if it will help others, Nicole, use it in your story. And I said, okay. Well, because yeah, yeah. I'm gonna tell her. I'm gonna tell her, <laughs> Nicole. Mm-hmm. Thank you so much for being here today. I, I really it has been it has been a delight. You are just fabulous to talk to, and um, maybe one day we'll meet in person. Definitely, Who knows, you know. Definitely, definitely. 
But this is this has been great, and I wish you the best of luck with your book. And this story is phenomenal. It's actually phenomenal. And I urge everybody, everybody to buy this book. You are deathless. A near-death experience taught me how to fully live and not fear death. You have to go out. You have to get it. It's available on Amazon right now. Nicole got her first copy on Sunday. So get your copy now. And then it'll be out on Kindle and it will come out in retail stores uh, later. But the hard, there's a hardback version that they're still, um, still working on. Well, don't wait, order it now. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. You can get the paperback now. Absolutely. Get the paper, get get the paper. It's discounted to $5 and 50 cents. I don't know up there in Canada what it is, but, uh, you know, in terms of us dollars, uh, it's, uh, just the cost of printing. Well, we got friends in Canada. Come on. Okay. <laughs> Open the pocketbooks. Get the book now. <laughs> you guys know it. Get it. No, really, buy the book. It's definitely worth it. This this is now we've discussed this topic before, near death experiences, and we've had some good conversations about it. This is definitely a book to, that's worth reading. And she was only 19 when this happened. And yeah. no, nobody's claiming, you know, uh, people came down and grabbed her and flew up into the sky. None of that. None of that nonsense. This is a, a true near-death experience. So definitely get this book. Nicole, thank you again so much for being here. I really appreciate it. And I hope to talk to you again soon. Same here, Jim, and blessings to you and everyone out there. And um, you, I just wish you a wonderful, wonderful day. And, and thank you again for the opportunity. Thank you, and say hello to your husband for us. I will. Uh, all right. Take care. So was I right? Was that a good interview or what? I'd like to thank Nicole for being on with us today, and I'd like to thank her for her service to the country. And I'd like to thank you, the listener, for being here today. Without you, we have nothing. And I want to remind you, no matter what, things can always be worse. That's right, my friends. Right now, there's somebody somewhere wishing that they were in your position, so things could always be worse. Hey, remember to check out Nicole's book, You are deathless. A near-death experience taught me how to fully live and not fear death. Check that book out. And don't forget, she'll come to your book club via, via Zoom. So not too many people offer that. So take her up on that. And remember, all the websites and email addresses and everything that were mentioned in the interview will be in the show notes for this episode. Hey, thank you for being here today. Like I said, we've got some great guests coming up next week, and you're not going to want to miss it. So make sure you come back, check back with us. And again, thank you for being here. Have a great day. You've been listening to An Apple a Day. My name is Jimmy Apple. I'll talk to you again real soon, my friends. Thanks for listening to An Apple a Day with Jimmy Apple, your gateway to a happy, healthy life. Join our community at www.famousapple.com. See you next time.